All right. Come on. Have a seat. We're going to uh, be going to a lunch break straight after this. So my hope is that uh, we're connecting with people, uh, that your plan for your lunch afternoon isn't that you and your wife are going to go shopping or isn't that you're going to take a long extended nap, uh, which is okay. But let's, uh, let's, let's work on making sure that we're connecting relationally with each other. That's part of the po point. There's a lot of uh, extra space in order to do that. And so we, we want to be able to grow in relationship. We want to be able to encourage each other. We want to be able to laugh and have fun together. Uh, we came from a movement that said friendship before function. And so, man, uh, we could go far together so long as we're investing in friendship. And so we want to do that. All right, I'm going to talk. I'm not going to talk that long. Uh, two days ago, I received a a uh, text from Chad, and uh, I was actually going to talk about lament, and I'm so glad I did not talk about lament, because Alan did so wonderfully. If I talked about it, you guys would be staring at me, and it's like, we already did this, what are we talking about this for? So um, uh, two days ago, I got a text from Chad, and he, he just said that he was praying, he felt like God was calling sons to become fathers. And immediately it uh, kind of compelled me and captivated my heart. I want to talk about leadership, if, if that's okay, for the next like 25 minutes. I want to talk about leadership. And I don't know about you, but uh, in the last year, it seems like leadership is getting more difficult. Getting much more difficult. And I think we have some war stories, and part of this getting together is to tell some of those war stories. I, I think it's getting more difficult for a couple of reasons. Um, first is the problems we have with all the bad examples, or all the bad examples of church leaders, and it seems like there are consistently put before us and in the media bad examples of church leaders. There's celebrity pastors who it appears like they, they just want to promote their ministry so they could promote themselves as the point to the entire ministry. And many of those celebrities are people that have spectacular moral failures. So it's in the public for everybody to see, which the media plays on it, and people are constantly told that these leaders are the ones that are hypocritical. These leaders are the ones that are ultimately going to fall morally. These leaders cannot be trusted. And we have a bunch of examples of leaders that are abusive, leaders that are domineering. And uh, many of our people have come from churches uh, maybe you guys only get uh, people saved at your church. That's how you grow. But if, you, if anybody comes to your church from another church, oftentimes we hear and have to work through uh, their past church experiences where they have been domineered and abused and really have left shaken. Um, their confidence is shaken about the church. And then we have what's promoted a lot is kind of the CEO pastor. 
uh, where church is presented as big business. And, and if you're a successful leader, successful pastor, then you have to lead like a CEO and all of the people in your church are minions and you are the great chess player that uses your people and manages your people for the best game. Um, I think in all these instances, it's creating a mistrust in leadership. More so than ever before, I feel people that the people that are coming to us, it takes way longer than it used to for them to get to the place where they can trust us as leaders within a church. So it's becoming much more challenging. So uh, the second big problem of leading and why leading it seems to be getting more difficult is this. 2020 has proven that people do not want to be led. This was a revelation for me. Maybe like I still am the dreamer and thinking, man, I've responded to the call. God's called me to lead a church, and I'm going to be brave heart, and the whole army is with me, and we're charging a mountain. I feel like I'm charging a mountain, and nobody's behind me anymore. People don't want to be led. It's because we're swimming, I think. Uh, all accounts where secular humanism is knocking at our door, our culture is changing, we're a post-Christian society, and all projections that it was coming. But I think what 2020 did is expedited what happened in 10 years to one year. Now we're swimming in secular humanism, and so people are taught they're an authority unto themselves. They're taught that they get to decide right from wrong. I am amazed right now at people in our church not submitting themselves to the authority of Scripture anymore, more so than ever before. It's like, where have you, where have you, you've lost your mind. How can you justify your sin? Well, that's your interpretation. People are encouraged to choose their own truth. They're encouraged to follow their heart, and so people are doing that to their own demise. And I'm realizing people do not want to be led. What they want is a champion for their own beliefs and opinions. And that's what politics is all about. Nobody's saying, hey, Trump, will you lead me? Because everybody knows there's a lot of dysfunction there. The people that voted for Trump are, I want the champion who believes what I believe. And so we're divided. We're not picking someone to lead us. We're picking someone who will agree with what we already believe. They're not looking for someone to challenge them. I mean, have you had someone in the last year, hey, you know what would be great if the leadership just kind of spoke truth to us and challenged us, <laughs> challenged our established thinking and set of beliefs. Nobody wants it. And this is, puts us in a challenging moment. It does. Leadership is hard. Leadership is difficult. And so, so the question is, what are we to do? I mean, in the mid middle of this, like 2020, for me, one of the things that I realized is, and I really thought we were doing a better job at making disciples than we actually were. And I was 
just struck. I was heartbroken over and over again about another person in a church who we've invested in, the love, acting foolishly. One of the big results I've had from 2020 in this pandemic, because we have to see it as a gift. It was tough. It kicked our butts. But we have to see it as a gift. And I think one of the things that we could see it see as a gift is a resolve to do better and more focused at making disciples. Like we cannot be casual about making disciples anymore. Hey, we're a community who loves Jesus. Come on, come aboard. You know, it's going to be awesome. It has to be much more militant, much more focused, much more intentional. So we as an eldership team are are wrestling. How do we produce a disciple that's able to endure COVID-20? Because it's coming. So what do we do as leaders? Do we give up? Like, honestly, what's the choice? Like, what do we do? Do we give up? I mean, there's a lot of pastors in 2020 that quit. I know a lot of them. A lot of them in our city. And just within a five-minute distance from our building, five, three leaders have quit. Within our city, thriving, growing churches. Pastors just get up without anybody knowing, saying, this is my last day here, I'm gone. There's many who have quit. What do we do? Like, the only thing that we can do is to decide we're going to continue to do this regardless of how difficult it is. We're going to continue to do this God's way. And we know it's difficult. Our, our eyes are open to the difficulty now. So I want to look at what true leadership looks like. And I, of course, this isn't going to be exhaustive. I just want to kind of put the kind of big idea before us. What does real leadership look like? What does it look like? How do we lead God's way? So uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to read starting in verse 3. I don't have any notes on the screen. Sorry about that, but uh, you can open up your Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 starting in verse 3. For our appeal does not spring, this is Paul giving justification for their ministry to a church that he's desperate to go see, that hasn't yet been able to see. It says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, not with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made our demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day, 
that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I uh, want to just present a couple ideas that this passage teaches us about true leadership. So the first is this, leaders who, true leadership is leaders who are not in it for themselves. Verse 5 says, we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people. Now, we're in ministry, and we know it's such a foolish thing to think that going into ministry is actually going to help you with money and with fame. I mean, if that's your path, if that's what you really want, don't go into ministry. That is a very stupid idea. If you want to make money, don't do it in ministry. And many of us responded to the call of God to ministry, knowing the cost that we were paying. We were saying no to this, and we were saying yes to this. But I think we would acknowledge that the longer we're in ministry, the harder it gets the more we feel we should get something in return for all the price that we are paying. And entitlement starts to creep into our hearts. We weren't in it for money to begin with, but man, hey, you guys realize how hard I am working for you. So we start to think that we deserve more than we are getting, and we start grasping for what is not ours. Greed in our hearts. We're saying the price of ministry is so great. What I need from this experience and the cost of pay is for you guys to think I'm amazing and to be the hero. You guys, I'll serve you. I'll continue to be in position. Let's have an exchange. I will be your hero. You treat me as royalty, and this relationship can work. It happens. Over time, we start missing the point of what our calling is. Dudley Daniel, for those of you that know him, he used to say, avoid fame like the plague. And as we've seen celebrity pastor after celebrity pastor, well-known pastor after well-known pastor morally fall, it's like, I agree with the sentiment, avoid fame like the plague. It's not why we got into this. It's not our motivation. True leadership, second point that we see here is leaders who refuse to be people pleasers. Leaders who refuse to be people pleasers. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Man, I know when when we first planted the church, 
And uh, we had like 12 adults that started with us. And we didn't know when we opened up the doors to our first day. It was like, who's going to come? And we watched in disbelief that cars started pulling in to come to our first service. And they came in the doors. And for the first few months, it was like we did not want to offend them in any way. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. What can we give to you? Willing to do anything to just keep those few people. Paul's saying, we're not in this to please people. We're not going to use our mouth as a tool to manipulate people, to flatter them, to deceive them in order to get them to stay on board, in order to get them on board with our agenda. We're not going to misuse our leadership position for that. Paul's saying true leadership isn't willing to compromise the message. It's not willing to speak in a way that people get their ears tickled. Their motivation isn't to please man. True leader's motivation isn't to please man. It's to please God. Who's the one that's ultimately testing our hearts? So the driving motivation of true leaders is not to please man, even though that's our job to love them. Our job is to please God above all else. And because we're living to please God, a few things happen, but one of them is that we're willing to work hard and persevere. Like, come on, 2020 happened. Like, if I'm in this for to please people, I'm out. You have it's not worth it. What's the driving motivation to make it through a pandemic? I am in this to please God. I didn't sign on this because he promised it was going to be easy. I signed on board because this is my calling. Whether it's easy or whether it's difficult, this is what I do, and there is no greater motivation than to please him. The second motivation or second outcome of pleasing God above man is the willingness to tell the truth. When it's not popular, when people don't want to hear it, if we're pleasing God, then we will speak into the cultural moment no matter how difficult it is. And we have been challenged. Outrage culture, polarizing, thank you, politics, racial tensions, 2020 has tested us. And for many, we've been paralyzed. Like, what do we do? I don't know what to say. What do I say in this moment? Gripped with fear. You know what the church needs? Is voices who will speak truth even when it's not popular. Three, true leaders that we see in this text is leaders who are willing to share their lives. My uh, passcode has been uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.8 for a long time. So if you want to log on to my 
Apple Care or App, whatever. I changed, I changed it a year ago. But uh, this verse has been so important to me. Being affectionately desirous for you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you have become very dear to us. Paul understood something in his ministry philosophy, exemplified it. He knew that it wasn't just proclaiming the gospel. Hey, you know what? I'm not into like the pastoral care stuff. You know, I, I did that for a few years. You know, I think my job, what I'm really gifted at, is just to preach. So I'm going to preach, and uh, everybody else, you could care for people. Paul demonstrated a life that was willing to live with others. He keeps on referring to it. In verse 1, he says, for you yourselves know. Verse 9, he says, for you remember, calling them to remember how he lived with them. Verse 10 says, you are witnesses. Verse 11 says, for you know how I lived amongst you. This means that leaders were known by the people because they did life with the people. They didn't just attend a meeting and deliver a nice sermon and went into their green room eating blue M&M's. Green M&M's. Now they actually did life. And they didn't do life with people because they had to. It's like, oh man, if I have to have one more conversation with another person. I mean, I get it. I'm, I'm in ministry. Like, you just get overloaded. But if that is always your default, I can't talk to people, that's a problem. They didn't share their lives with people because they, ha- uh, they, they had to. They shared their lives with people because they wanted to. It says being affectionately desirous for you. Now, Paul's Paul's had more demands on him than we do, I, I believe. Maybe he didn't. I mean, I, I mean, he had the weight of all these church plants on his shoulders, and he's having to write a letter to, First Corinth, or to the Corinthians. And I, I mean, it's just all this stuff he's carrying. And he makes a point and say, I was affectionately desirous of you. He didn't say I had affection for you. He didn't just say I desired you. Affectionately desirous of you. I like love you. I want to be with you. The, t- the, the temptation, because we can get so overwhelmed with people, is that we get tired and get into this default mode of just avoiding people and just go to the th- meetings that we have to go to, which means it's less friendship time, more functional time. It means we're opening up our homes less. It means we're having less meals with other people that don't have an agenda. Because almost every meal that we do have now it has an agenda. Hey, do you want to go for a meal? It's like, we eat, and then here comes the punch. Paul's saying, man, we shared our lives with you. We value not only sharing the gospel, but we value sharing our lives as well. 
Meaning that we're going to be relational. That, that's a priority. The church isn't a business. The church is to be a family. So we value relationships. And the point that Paul is making here is that when we share our lives, it's in connection with the gospel. Meaning it gives an object lesson to the gospel that we proclaim. We proclaim the gospel and then they see our lives and see an object lesson of our lives displaying the gospel. And that's what our people need. They don't need an excellent 30-minute sermon. They need truth proclaimed, and they need to do life with us, seeing the gospel displayed. And it doesn't mean that you have it all together and you're all perfect. Like, hey, look at me. I'm amazing. Look how the gospel is exemplified from my life. No. Like, we're in process. And so all of faith and all of repentance is displayed before our people so they can model it after them. When we do, are doing good, they're saying, wow, that's good. I want to follow you as you follow Christ. When we do bad, they see us repent, and then they learn how to repent and still run to the cross to find grace in times of need. All of it, all of our lives, the good and the bad, points to the gospel. Gives weight to the gospel that we proclaim. And this is how... This is how ministry is supposed to work. The fourth is this, is that leaders, um, true leaders, are leaders who lead like fathers and mothers. You see in the text, he calls them brothers. Then he says, we're like mothers. Then he says, we were like fathers. Think about it. What more intimate relationship could Paul have used to explain what true leadership looks like. A CEO, pastor, manages people. Thanks, Alan. The most important relationship in a child's life is his father and mother. Paul's saying this is what true leadership looks like. Paul's saying, I want you to understand we don't lead you like leaders of the world, the boss or the political leader. No, we lead you completely different. We lead you like a mother leads her kid, like a father leads his kid. And this is true leadership. So think about it. Let's just give ourselves a litmus test. Like most of us in this room have kids. Like what do we want for our kids? Paul's saying... What we want for our kids, we should also want for our people. He's not giving us, he's not saying being like a bad dad or a bad mom. No, he has before us a good mom and a good dad because we all in our heart know what a good mom and good dad looks like. Parents who love sacrificially. Like we know that. For those of you in the room that have had kids, the sacrifice, the sleepless nights, the poopy diapers, the who are you going to change this time or am I going to change this time? Willing to sacrifice with the mess. Parents are willing to do a good parent is willing to do anything for their kid. And I am concerned that the CEO pastor model has trained us if our congregant doesn't perform, then we blackball them and move on to someone else. And I don't think it's the biblical approach. 
We sacrificially love. Parents are the loudest voices of encouragement to their kids. They, parents are the ones that see their, their child's uniqueness, see their child's gifting, and good parents are the ones that are able to call it out of them. And even if it's a bumpy road because we know there's messing up and doing all the stuff along the way, we're constantly calling out of them what God wants for them. And we don't stop. Parents don't give up on their kids. We just did a funeral three weeks ago for a kid who committed suicide. And uh, the mom was lived two doors down from us. And she was a godly woman. She's still processing grief. But one of the things that made it so difficult is this mom never stopped praying for her son. She was an example of a godly mom. And like business tells us, give up on somebody. Why? I mean, at some point, it, it's, not good for, it's not good for you to keep on holding out. Paul says, no, we're, we're, we're like a father and we're like a mother. I mean, we don't give up on people. There's so many people. I mean, we could just tell war stories and all the people that have offended us. And Paul's saying we don't give up on people. How do we lead? We lead like a good father and a good mother. He says mothers are, like, are gentle, like a nursing mom taking care. Now, Paul is a man, and he's saying I was like a mom to you. So uh, women and men in the room, we have some work to do because... Women, you should act like mothers and fathers, and fathers, you should act like mothers and fathers. We, we're in this together. We need to have a father heart, and we need to have a motherly heart, and both of them are at play. He's saying that a mother's heart is gentle. It's not exclusively gentle. These are broad terms. Caring and gentle. And a father is, is one who exhorts and encourages and charges. It's like these two tools in our belt that every effective leader needs. Love and truth. Grace and truth. Invitation and challenge. It's like two wings on an airplane. Like if you lose a wing, you're gonna spin and crash. The only way it works to lead effectively is to lead with truth and to lead with love. And so we love our people. That's, that's what the gospel demands. Like a good parent, my kids growing up, I say to them, what do you know? And their response back to me is that Jesus loves me and mom and dad love me no matter what. And I would take my kids through a little exercise. Well, what if the teacher today is mean to you? What do you know? I know that Jesus and my mom and dad love me no matter what. What if people start making fun of you in the playground? I know that Jesus loves me and mom and dad love me no matter what. We are representing the gospel in our churches when our people 
no matter where they're at in their dysfunction scale, because all of them are dysfunctional, they're confident of our love for them no matter what. But we're also faithful to declare the truth to them no matter what. It's okay to not be okay. You're going to be welcomed and accepted here. But it's not okay to stay that way. And that's the continual refrain of a mother's heart and a father's heart. It's okay to not be okay. Come and hug. Mama's, mama's gotcha. And then daddy's, all right, come on, son. We're moving on. And these are the environments. This is the kind of leadership that creates environments where people would say of our churches, this place is safe. People could say, this place is encouraging. People can say, this place is secure. People can say, people are growing here and people are growing in maturity here. And these are the kind of churches that we want to lead. And it requires leaders, because as goes to the leaders, so goes to the churches. This is what our people need. This is what our people are. Our people don't want to be led. They don't want to be challenged. But we'll, what they will never say no to is the love of a father and the love of a mother. Our people don't need to be managed. Our people need to be served and our people need to be loved. And this is what they need. And this is the high call because we've all been let down. We've all have been stabbed in the back. We have all had people gossiping and slandering us and writing texts to other people. 2020, when I preached a message against racism, there's someone I loved deeply in the church that posted on Instagram a bullseye with a bunch of arrows missing the target altogether. And then one after one, people in the church started liking it and saying, yes, exactly. I mean, we, we all have our stories. The high call for us as true leaders is to love with the grace that we've received. God hasn't given up on us. That's our testimony. He hasn't given up on us. And we know how much we failed. And our motivation is to love people in that same way. So, God help us. Can we stand? Let's pray. Yeah, just thinking of um, Acts 20, 28, passage we know well. Pay a careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. And so, um, yeah, Lord, our, um, our journey as leaders has been tested. It's been put through a furnace continually. Um, the furnaces of people's opinions and cultural 
challenges, the furnaces of our own hearts and minds, our own souls, and our own sleeplessness, the furnace of constant challenges and never feeling like we were enough, never feeling like we could make the right decision. Um, We just bring all that to you, and we ask that you would help us, um, help us to pay careful attention to ourselves. It's really easy to pay a lot of attention to how other people are acting a fool and not think about ourselves. So would you help us pay um, careful attention to ourselves? And would you help us pay careful attention to the flock? Um, I felt in my own, um, my own self how easy it is to drift into general oversight um, of a flock because it's really exhausting to pay careful attention. Um, it used to be okay to pay careful attention when it was just one or two weirdos and now it's a church slam full of just drama. And um, so we just confess that, Jesus, we need your grace and your help. You pay careful attention to us. You don't provide general oversight for us. I mean, we're full of drama. <laughs> we're a mess. And so we just we need your help, Lord. And um, God, I pray lastly that you would, as leaders, that you would keep reminding us that this is actually your flock. You purchased her with your own blood. These are your sheep. It's just a season of us overseeing, and um, we're just so thankful, Lord, that the real weight is on your shoulders, not ours. So help us be good leaders um, in this moment, and um, yeah, encourage us, strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen.